Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Kalamazoo, Michigan campus. For more info on the church, visit newdaycommunity.org. Last week we started, uh, did we start the series? Or I don't even know. <laughs> We've been talking about sex. Uh, it's a hot topic. It's a series we started off January with. And so if you're new here, uh, this is kind of a more intense topic than we normally uh, talk through. And last week I really went over. I talked on um, uh, why the God loves sex and the devil hates it. And I really went over first service. I'm going to try not to do that, <clears throat> but we, we normally try not to, to go over time-wise. Uh, next week, Bill Menser is going to be here talking about porn. And so again, these are kind of intense topics, uh, and, uh, but it's uh, topics that are important to our lives and something that we think uh, is worth taking some time and talking about. Today I'm going to be talking about what's your orientation Okay, and this is a topic I've actually never talked about publicly. And uh, as a pastor over 25 years, I've never preached on this issue. And one of the things that came up after first service is that I was kind of explaining to someone why I ever preach on it. And, and the reason is, is because I think there's just a whole lot of other things that are more significant and more important to preach on. And if we get the truths of God's Word and the truths of what God wants to do in our lives working and our hearts healed up, um, we won't have to preach on this as much. Does that make sense? Uh, And so, and then uh, some studies show that uh, less than 2% of adults participate in any form of uh, gay, lesbian, bisexual, trigender, dot, dot, dot. Um, and I'm, throughout my sermon, I'm going to refer to people in that lifestyle as queer. Uh, that is not derogatory. It used to be when I was a kid, that was a derogatory word. Um, I've found out that that is now the umbrella term that people in that lifestyle prefer to use for uh, to refer to everyone that's not straight. Okay, and so queer, um, and so <clears throat> uh, some studies show that. Less than 2%, about 1.5% of all adults in America participate, are involved in any form of queer behavior uh, or lifestyle or orientation. And so, uh, you know, if we focus on something that is actually, this is actually a strategy, I think, that uh, we can fall prey to, is we focus on something that doesn't really apply to most people and therefore don't focus on the things that apply to the majority of people. And I personally, like, think we should preach on things that apply to us, you know. And so, <clears throat> but another thing is, uh, um, my goal today is really just to start a conversation. I'm not going to touch on hardly anything. I'm just going to introduce the subject uh, and, and to a great degree. And again, you know, it, uh, hopefully it'll, it'll begin a conversation where you seek out more. I was surprised to find out someone uh, mentioned to me this morning that, you know, they never even think about it. I'm like, wow, I actually think about this stuff constantly because I... I counsel, I deal with people going through this. Many of our, uh, us in this room have loved ones who are in living uh, uh, a queer lifestyle, and we have to deal with it. We have to have answers. So people come to me and talk to me about this quite a bit, and you're welcome to come and talk, and um, you know, I can give you a, a lot more information. 
Um, I literally can talk forever. <laughs> but I have a lot of experience, like decades of experience, uh, in, in, in ministering to people in this lifestyle, as well as, you know, decades of, uh, decades of experience in studying God's Word concerning this, because, I, you know, if someone comes with that problem, I have to be able to answer. All right, so uh, we're going to talk about, we're going to begin a conversation, and the issue is no longer about homosexuality or a homosexual lifestyle. It's expanded to include an, an entire spectrum of sexual expressions and identity. And that's why we call it gender um, they, uh, they, or the world, or whatever, the way it's uh, addressed now, is that gender is no longer simply male and female, but a vast range uh, based on one's, not based on one's biology or physiology, uh, but on a person's sexual orientation. And so I just have to explain this, because if you're encountering, and what I'm going to talk about, or if you're encountering people in the world, that I want to talk about this, or you hear about it on television, the idea of gender is no longer male-female, but, you know, some people are born biologically male, but maybe they're um, attracted to males, uh, and so that would be a homosexual lifestyle. But maybe, uh, and I, I, I met a man, actually, he attended this church for a while, who was biologically male, <coughs> and believed homosexuality was sin, was not homosexual, homosexual in any way, but preferred to dress as a woman. He felt most comfortable and felt that that was his true identity. And, uh, and so he, he, he didn't come dressed as a woman, uh, but he asked permission. Uh, and so that was a whole other, um, like, part of the spectrum. And so that's a person who's transvestite, would we call him, someone who dresses as a woman. And so there's just all kinds of different, there's literally just like all kinds of different uh, steps on that scale between uh, what would be considered straight um, uh, sexuality. All right? So gender, that's what it means. <clears throat> now, before we get into the topic, I want to ask a few questions. First of all, you know, is a person's future predetermined? Is it shaped by unseen forces upon which they have no control. And the reason I ask that is because there's a big influence now in our world that says if you're queer, you must embrace this as your identity. Right? Um, and I'm just saying, really? Is that true? You know? Just because you feel a particular way or because you act in a particular way, does that mean that's who you are? And then a kind of a more fundamental question is, should your identity be defined by your sexuality? I think your identity is a lot bigger. Yeah. Right? But see, in our society, we're so sexualized that sex becomes the defining factor of a person. Rather than bigger things becoming the issues and the factors that form our identity of which sexuality is just a fraction or a part or an expression. And so I just want to ask the question, really, should that be so, so much? And, and there's so many influences in the world saying, yes, that's what defines your identity. I'm saying no. And another question is, can a person change? 
not only their gender orientation, but can a person just change um, in deep and significant ways? And in fact, doesn't the gospel actually demand and call everyone to change? Doesn't it actually call us to have our identities changed? All right, our uh, the deepest part of our being is to be transformed through the message of the gospel. So if that's true in the deepest part of our beings, could it be also true of our sexual... Should it not affect our sexuality? And of course, for me, the answer is yes. I think it should. So someone just, just a couple of days ago, in a totally different context, <coughs> came up to me and said... Um, uh, he was he was actually saying this is something that he says says your vision of your future shapes your present. A completely different context. I wasn't talking about sexuality at all. I was talking about something else altogether. But he said, yeah, you know, I tell people your vision of your future really determines or shapes your present. And he said, this is the way I explain it. And I'll use his example. If I uh, walked up to you and uh, handed you an all expenses paid. Uh, uh, seven-day cruise to the Caribbean in three weeks. Would that change how you felt right now? Yes? How much, like, if I had one right here, would it change how you feel? Yes, yes. <laughs> Everybody's going, yes, 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 yes. Well, I wish I could do that. Yeah, they're wondering. You're hoping you did. Yeah. I gave away 100 bucks a while ago. <laughs> we're going to give away $100 every Sunday next, next month because we're going to be talking about Monday. Uh, we're going to be talking about money. <laughs> so if I gave you a ticket for a, a cruise to the Caribbean, it would change how you feel now, but it would also change how you behave because you'd start planning and packing. And making arrangements so you could be gone for seven days. So it changes how you behave. It changes how you f- feel. So your your vision of your future affects your present significantly. All right. And so the reason I bring this up is because many people today, in discussing this issue, say that well, it's fixed. Your sexuality is fixed, uh, immovable. You know, and so you're born that way. I'm going to tell you a story of a, a friend of mine or an acquaintance. His name is Paul, and you can read Paul's story in his own words at bit.ly slash Paul's story. And that's what Paul looks like. <clears throat> and I met him a couple of years ago. And uh, when I met him, he was still living a gay lifestyle. All right? And um, so I'm going to try to sum up his story because I think it's a great illustration of, uh, of, of just what's prevalent today and what, what is a lot of people's stories. Everyone's story is unique, right? And we need to respect their stories, uh, whether we agree with them or not. I mean, it's their story, right? And so Paul's story was that he grew up in a household in, in a neighborhood that was all of his friends were girls, and uh, he was very sickly as a child. And the doctor who finally figured out how to treat his, well, it turns out to be just asthma. Uh, asthma, if it's undiagnosed, uh, can be very, very serious. And he was hospitalized a lot, and they finally got him on the right medication, which changed his life. And so that, that male doctor had a, a huge influence, and so he, he, he really kind of connected with that doctor. <clears throat> so these are positive experiences, by the way. And then a second experience with, with an elementary school teacher um, helped him, and so he had great affection for this teacher, but all of his friends, for whatever reason, 
were girls. All right? And so all of his friends actually had a crush on this teacher and were infatuated with this teacher. And, and Paul says that that made him think, well, maybe I have a crush on Mr. So-and-so. All right? And so that just planted this little seed in his little child brain trying to figure out what life was. And so he, that was significant in his life. <clears throat> Things move on. And um, um, he finds out later in life, it was in his mid, late 20s before he found out medically, but another factor that influenced his life is that he actually did have a physiological, a biological defect in his body, so his body did not produce testosterone in the levels normal for men. In fact, it produced virtually very, very low. So testosterone is a hormone that affects male development. Okay, lowers your voice, makes you grow hair everywhere. <laughs> and you know what? It affects your mood. Women, does testosterone affect men's mood? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone talks about estrogen. <clears throat> so actually, testosterone is the mood changer. Uh, and so it, and it affects all kinds of things. And so here he is, a boy. He's male. He's biologically male. Uh, but having feelings toward other males in the context, and, so, and then his body develops that way. So by the time he was... Uh, in high school, in, in college, he had... Oh, another thing that happened was his older sister was married, got divorced, which was a trauma in his life because it kind of shocks you, and came out as a lesbian. All right? And so it forced him to go, wow, oh, wow, lesbianism, maybe, maybe I'm gay. And so he basically embraced it as his lifestyle and lived his entire adult lifestyle full-on gay. All right? Full-on. Um, but in his 40s, he continued to have a difficulty because he was raised in a Christian church and he read scripture and he could not um, bring together what he saw the Bible teach about homosexuality and his lifestyle. But everyone he talked to said, oh, that's the way you were born. God made you that way. God doesn't make mistakes. Embrace it. So his, everyone was telling him that his future was just this gay lifestyle. Until one day he heard someone say, it doesn't have to be. You can have another future. And it rocked his world. Alright? Like, what? Really? Yes. You can change. In fact, the Bible tells, calls us all to change. And he started thinking, well, maybe I can change. And, and through that, it wasn't instantaneous, but through that, came to the place where he realized, he said, I've lived my entire adult life gay but I am not gay now. Yeah, and he, and he, he just says that that's not who I am. And <clears throat> it's a very, very powerful story. And he actually went on a date just a couple of weeks ago. His first date with a woman since high school. And he's hoping to get married. Uh, because he now realizes that's what he... And he says he's happier than he's ever been. Well, that's Paul's story, and it's valid because it's his story. And so we can see the multitude of different factors that influence uh, his identity, his sexuality, and, and uh, how he sees the world. And it's changed. So <clears throat> we'll, the question I get asked probably m most often is this. Will queers go to heaven? 
And queer, again, is not derogatory. It's referring to all people and all these different sexual expressions. And I'm not going to really answer that because I think it's the wrong question. All right? So, so even if we uh, take the most conservative uh, viewpoint that all queer behavior is sin, then it's simply equivalent to someone persistently yielding to pornography, which clearly is sin. Okay? Sin of adultery. Jesus said, if you look at a woman to lust for her, you've committed adultery in your heart. And pornography is looking at women for that purpose. <clears throat> okay? So at what point does a yielding to a particular sin determine eternal separation with God? Well, I'm going to tell you what I believe about that. And I believe this confidently. I don't know. <laughs> I'm convinced. All right. Now, eternal security is a buzzword that means, that's what Christians use the term that means knowing you're saved. All right. And I believe in that I can know that I am saved based on my relationship with Jesus Christ. There's no doubt in my mind that if I were to drop dead today, I would wake up, uh, you know, in heaven. I would wake up in relationship with God. I have no question about that whatsoever. But that does not equal the ability to judge others. Because I have no, I can have, I cannot know for certain anyone else's eternal destiny, even my wife. Okay? Because who knows what goes on between her of her and God. You know, I'm not her judge. Now, we can generally, you know, based on the evidence of their lives, think, you know, you can uh, assume people are Christian for the most part, but you just never know. And that's why when, when I do funerals for people that pass away and we don't really know because they, they weren't living a, a godly lifestyle, I, I reassure people, I'm like, we don't know what happened between their, their heart and their God. We just don't know. We don't know what prayers were said. We don't know. And so, there, you know, it's appointed for man to die once and then the judgment. But judgment means, you know, there's going to be. It's up to God to determine that. And we can't, we can't know other people's eternal destiny, but we're supposed to know ours, all right? So that's not a contradiction to say, I don't know. Because there you take Paul who up until he was 48 was living a full-on gay lifestyle, but even through much of that, he was a believer. He had a relationship with Jesus Christ. Or uh, I read a story just recently of a woman <clears throat> who was a very successful journalist and uh, actually became a Christian by accident, you know, against her will. Uh, she went to hear a speaker. He was he's a very well-known speaker in New York City. His name is Timothy Keller. And um, he was talking about a topic that, who knows what he was talking about, I don't even know. And she was intrigued because he's an intellectual and he's a very good speaker. And she was drawn in and agreed with what he was saying. Uh, for the most part, wasn't a Christian, was totally anti-Christian actually. But kept coming back because she was intrigued by his, his talks and it drew her in. And after, I think it took a year or two, she realized she was going every, every Sunday and she actually believed. She accepted Jesus as Lord. And uh, she was um, living a lesbian lifestyle. But it was like two years before God chose to deal with that issue in her life. 
Alright? You know, and now she's out of that lifestyle completely. But there were years in between the time when she accepted Jesus as Lord and the time where she was freed. So it's it's different for every person. Alright? Because God is a personal God. And God may call someone to come out of the lifestyle immediately, but for others it may be a journey. Alright? And I think that's just like any sin, isn't it? Like when I got saved, there's certain sins that just stopped. But there's certain issues that, well, I'm still waiting for that. <laughs> All right. So the response is, <clears throat> uh, learn what the Bible says, believe it, share it. Live it and talk about it. Share, share it. I think it's really important. Okay, another question is, are people born queer? Well, genetics affect every part of our life. Okay? There is nothing about you that's not influenced in a significant way by your DNA. All right, and there's just no way around it. So, but the question I would ask is, well, is a person born a scientist? Or a mathematician? Have you ever heard something? Oh, he's a born so-and-so. I'm like, well, <clears throat> if there's a gene for mathematician, I didn't get it. All right? <laughs> you know, some people are born with a, just a, an ability for math, right? And some people aren't. I need a calculator to figure out my phone number. <laughs> All right? And so, I don't have that. But, nobody's born a scientist. They have a propensity toward that. Okay? And so, um, our, we are born with a biological gender. And this is one of the earliest things discovered when they figured out DNA and genes that they could determine the sex of someone very easily through a, a simple test. And in fact, they can dig up bones of people that lived thousands of years ago and know if they're male or female right? very easily. And so biological gender is based on our chromosomes. <clears throat> but um, but what, they've, what uh, the discussion now has gotten to is, well... People aren't limited to their biological gender. That uh, their 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 gender is determined by their sexual uh, 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 lifestyle, by their sexual identity, and so it's something beyond that. So let's just say there is a genetic connection, and queers have some kind of genetic uh, factor influencing that. And uh, there's much debate, and and frankly, I don't think there's any solid evidence that there is a direct link. Uh, it's, it may be a factor, but it, it isn't necessarily the only factor. But even if it is, it just is evidence of fallen nature. Okay? Simply, that's not something that's contrary to God's Word. It would actually be complementary. Yeah, that's exactly what the Bible says. Everyone is born broken. You're just broken in that way. Someone else may be broken... And that they're, you know, prideful or they're given to outbursts of anger, you know. And so every, the message of Scripture is that everyone is born broken. Uh, and uh, that the gospel, um, we're not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it's the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. And this word salvation is becoming made whole and set free.
Okay, so from whatever condition we have, uh, the the gospel of Christ it has the power to accomplish that change that is possible. And then he applies it specifically in this passage to the heated controversy in his day of racial division between Jew and Gentiles. And if it can overcome racial differences, uh, which certainly is genetic, it can overcome other issues like gender identity. Does that make sense? Okay. So, are some people born queer? It doesn't really matter <laughs> if they're born that way or not, uh, because there's power to change. So, how should we relate? This is another question I get most often, is, um, you know, how do we re- relate to queers and supporters? Um, and again, my m- reason for tackling this topic now is that I want to equip us as a church to be able to respond to this issue. I'm really not that into, you know... Uh, engaging beyond my sphere of influence. Does that make sense? In other words, like some people are called to the political realm. God bless you, go for it. You know, I'm not. This is the realm I'm called to is influencing, you know, and sharing what I feel to the people that are willing to listen. And here you are, listening to me. <laughs> so how, how should we relate to queers and supporters? This is how I think we should relate. Jesus says, do not judge others and you will not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. So you want to judge people by their sexuality? You better look at your own sexuality. And why worry about the speck in your friend's eye? And I like this translation because it says your friends. And I think that should imply that we should have friends. Maybe even friends that are in lifestyles that are different than ours. That they actually think you're a friend. It's really helpful to get their perspective. But why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your own eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye. Hypocrite, first get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Now keep in mind here, Jesus actually says we should deal with our issues so that we can help other people deal with their issues. Alright, so this is not forbidding helping other people with their issues. He's just saying, get it in the right order. Alright, don't live judgmentally. Don't condemn others because of their beliefs or behaviors. That's not our role. That's not our place. Put more emphasis on dealing with your own failures before you point out other people's failures. Alright, and if you do that, that'll position you, that'll enable you to actually help your friends. Uh, certainly avoid double standard. And if there's one thing that the, the, the queer community has that's valid is that we, use, we being Christians, the church, use scriptures in a double standard. Because they look at the church and they see just as much sexual uh, uh, confusion and misbehavior. And they look at our families and they see just as much brokenness as they see elsewhere. And so how can we present to them an option that uh, is better if we're not living it? And so we need to avoid double standards. But listen to the next verse that Jesus says. And remember, when he said it, he didn't pause between the two. <clears throat> he goes on, he says, don't wait. He said, don't judge, right? Then he goes on, he says, don't waste what is holy on people who are unholy. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. They will trample the pearls and then turn and attack you. So after warning against judgment, 
Jesus then immediately calls some people unholy pigs. I love that. All right? All right. So whenever anybody says, you know, Jesus says don't judge, I'm like, oh yeah, he does say that. And right after that, he says he calls some people unholy pigs. And he's referring to people. He might have pointed at some. <laughs> really, they were right there. So what, how do we respond to this? Well, I think it's very important for, to understand not judging and this whole issue. This, I think this applies super pertinent to this issue. All right? Because <clears throat> we are not to throw our pearls. Don't force your values, your pearls, the things that are valuable, upon those who are given to trample and attack you. All right? So I don't argue with people. Don't argue with people. Plain and simple. If someone wants to engage in an argument, I, I disengage. Yeah. I'm, just, I'm not going there. I'll talk about it. If you want to talk about it, it's right. But arguing is not Christ's way. But then the people that are violently, you know, that they're aggressive about an issue, and you just throw scripture at them, you're throwing what is valuable. You're just giving them ammunition to trample on you. Okay? You need to first become their friend. All right? <clears throat> okay, so you ever hear the, the statement, Jesus never mentions it, therefore it's not a sin? How many have heard that? Yeah, well, let me show you where Jesus mentions it. But <clears throat> First of all, Jesus' definition of sin is based on the Old Testament law. All right? In fact, his sinless nature, which is an essential aspect of why we call him Lord... In other words, the defining, one of the defining characteristics of why Jesus is worshipped is that he was sinless, which, meant he, which was defined by the fact that he didn't violate any of the laws or commands of the Old Testament. Okay? So we worship him as Lord because he fulfilled all of the Old Testament law. Mm-hmm. All right? So when, so when Jesus talks about sin, he's, he is, in any context... It's all of the law being spoken through the words of Jesus. Does that make sense? Um, to assume that Jesus' morality defies uh, that of the Old Testament is to completely misunderstand Jesus, to take him completely out of the context that he is presented in and to stick him into a different context that just doesn't make sense. Okay? <clears throat> it's a very dangerous thing to do. Uh, and you can... And people do that for all kinds of causes. They always want to take Jesus and put them on, in, in their cause. But Jesus never allowed that, and he still doesn't. Um, so <clears throat> Jesus also clearly, in his own words, affirms the Old Testament laws. Now, I'm not going to take time. I don't have time to go through the Old, whole Old Testament. Even the verses that refer directly to sexual sins. I'm not going to even talk about very many verses. I'm almost done here, sort of. <laughs> Again, normally this is when we end. So, you know, if you have to go, we understand it, no problem. Uh, but because this is such a sensitive topic, I'm going to go a little bit further. Um, don't misunderstand why I have come, Jesus says. I did not come to abolish uh, the laws of Moses or the writing of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish or fulfill or bring to completion their purpose. I tell you the truth. Until heaven and earth disappear. Has earth disappeared? Okay, so we're still waiting on this. Not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So, if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Keep in mind, he did say you'll be least in the kingdom of heaven. He didn't say you'll be in hell. 
Okay? <clears throat> but if anybody who obeys God's law and teaches them he will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. But I warn you. He goes, okay, that's one point. But another thing, even more important than that, is unless your righteousness, your right being, your relationship with God through faith, how we determine whether we're right with God or not, is better of a higher quality, a different standard, than the righteousness of the teachers of the religious law, the religious leaders of his day, uh, and the Pharisees, you will never even enter the kingdom of heaven. All right? And so he actually, in every place, sets the bar. Jesus sets the bar of righteousness exponentially higher than the Old Testament. <clears throat> and in another place, he, Jesus dis, uh, de, de, uh, defines what defiles a person. Okay? So let's just jump there. It's in Mark chapter 7. Jesus is talking, and he refers specifically to sexual sin. And this is where I'm, why I'm saying Jesus did talk about sexuality. He did talk about homosexual behavior. Because, he said, uh, it is what comes from the inside that defiles you. For from within, out of a person's heart, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, Envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these vile things come from within. They are what defile you. And so first of all, Jesus said, yeah, it actually is the stuff from the inside that defiles us, that makes us unable to be in right relationship with God because of sin. That's why we need a Savior. All right? But it's the inside stuff. So it's not contradicting this idea that Oh, this is the way I am. Okay, that's why, Jesus, that's why you need a Savior. We all need a Savior. Um, <clears throat> he refers specifically to two things that have to do with sexuality. So we're going to zoom in on those. But it applies to all of these sins. Alright? And, and this is not an exhaustive list. So, um, particularly... <clears throat> oh yeah, and so because the sexual sins are listed along with things like theft and murder... We can't say the sexual sins no longer apply. Because then we'd have to say, well, theft and murder isn't wrong either. Yeah. 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 Alright? Yeah, I think that's significant. Alright? Uh, Jesus said all these things defile people. It comes from your inner, the, the, your orientation, your inside stuff. And so we can't just say, well, he doesn't mean the sexual sins anymore because of his culture was, uh, uh, didn't understand uh, homosexual behavior which in and of itself is a historical misunderstanding. Homosexual behavior was commonplace in the Greek world, in the Roman world. It was celebrated. It was everywhere. Okay. Um, <clears throat> there's another thing I don't have in my notes. I need to address this because it's so often misunderstood. People think that um, uh, in the Old Testament when it references homosexual behavior, it's always in the context of pagan ritualism. And I'm, I'm here to tell you, if I had time to show you the scripture in, in the Old Testament, that's not true. Okay? Yes, it is true that pagan worship practices included all kinds of sexual deviation. Okay? All kinds of strange stuff. But that behavior was not contained to the temples. All right? If you think it was, you're naive. Okay? Because people today are the same as they were 4,000 years ago. All right? And so... If they practiced it in the temple, they practiced it at home. All right? It was commonplace. <clears throat> and so, and then the way Jesus deals with the sexual sin here is he lumps them right together with other sins like theft, like murder, like deceit. 
And so we, it, it, it applies to all. And it still applies. So there's three words he uses. Sexual immorality is pornea. It's a general term for all sexual sins. It includes adultery. Fornication is any sexual activity outside covenant relationship with a, a opposite gender, biologically gender spouse. Okay? <clears throat> uh, uh, so it includes homosexuality, lesbianism, equal with intercourse with animals, uh, and all other forms of, uh, of different things. That's just what that word meant. That's what Jesus meant when he used it. That's, you, you cannot in any way kind of explain around that, that that's what he meant, because that's, how, that's what the word means in culture, in the uh, uh, dictionary. <clears throat> Adultery, specific term for the most common form of sexual uh, uh, sin, is sleeping with someone else's spouse. And then he gets to this, and I think this is really significant for this discussion, is he says lustful desires. And that's, that's the term for licentiousness and lasciviousness. Now, because those words have a lot of syllables, we don't use them much. But we need to understand them, okay? Licentiousness is giving license, that you have liberty, that you have the freedom to do whatever you want. That's called licentiousness. And it's on the opposite scale of legalism. Legalism is bad. Licentiousness is bad. Okay? The two opposite scales. And, 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 and we can't be either. We can't just do whatever we want. And we can't get this strict legalism that has this list of rules that if you break any one of these, you're, you're vile. Okay? You're, you're uh, unqualified. Right? There's a, there's a thing where we realize that there's a lifestyle in between. There's a lifestyle that's straight and narrow. All right, that's difficult and hard. Jesus said that, didn't he? All right, so licentiousness and lasciviousness is what he refers to when he talks about uh, uh, lustful desires. And it's out of that attitude of the heart that we actually defile ourselves. It's accepting, uh, it's the heart, uh, condition of your heart and soul that gives yourself over to sexual sin or uh, acceptance of the behavior. Um, oops. It's the giving over of your mind to wantonness. Okay? And wantonness is simply doing what you want as though it was okay. All right? And so the fact that you want something doesn't mean it's right. In fact, that's our struggle, isn't it? That we want things that are not healthy for us, that are contrary to God's nature. All right, so not only does Jesus address the actual acts of sexual sin, but he addresses the heart condition that leads to it. And could this be Jesus specifically talking about orientation? That he actually talks about it. Not only does he talk about homosexuality, because it's part of sexual uh, pornea, all right, uh, which he clearly addressed here and elsewhere, but he talks about that underlying desire or attitude or heart condition. I think he is. I think Jesus speaks directly to that inward person, the child on the inside, like Paul when he was a little kid, struggling with who he was, trying to figure out life. The the answer to that is that Jesus loves that little child. Jesus loves. And as Christians, as a church, we need to communicate that first and foremost. That wherever you are on that spectrum, Jesus loves you. Right there. And it's His love that can bring transformation, that can empower you to change. That you don't have to change first before you experience His love. Alright? You experience His love first, and then every form of change is possible, regardless of the list of things that, uh, that uh, may, qual- may, may show up in your life. 
everything is possible because nothing is impossible for our Savior. Amen.